above his name there is no other name the one who is eternally the same there is no other name the first and last beginning and the end he is the king who made the common man his friend there is no Messiah, King of kings and Lord of lords, Jesus. He created all that is with his own hand, and yet the smallest need Jesus understands. There is no other who said I am the great I am and then he gave himself a sacrifice for man there is no other name let every tongue proclaim and sing the name of Jesus magnify and praise the name Messiah, King of kings and Lord of lords. Messiah, King of kings and Lord of lords. Messiah, King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. This old song is a song that my brothers and I have recorded and, and sung around the country. And <clears throat> speaking of which, there's some CDs on the back table. I encourage you to get some good music in your home and in your car. But, but in the absence of that, get some of the Thart Brothers CDs. Amen. Um, <clears throat> but, you know, there's things that happen in our life from time to time that uh, cause doubt. You know what, Jesus, many times, he spoke to even his own disciples. He said, how is it that you have no faith? He said to them, oh, ye of little faith. In fact, the only time that Jesus, there was only three times, I believe, that Jesus marveled in the Bible. And two of which were times that he marveled at great faith. <clears throat> you know what, we're just, uh, we're just people that tend to doubt sometimes, aren't we? And if you've never had any doubts, then you probably just haven't been breathing for very long. We struggle with doubt, don't we? And you know, we're, we're in, I, I think we're in some of the most exciting times of Christianity. I really do. These are the only times that I've lived in. But I think of history and I think of uh, past uh, decades and centuries. And I believe we're in some exciting times. But they're also uncertain times. And there's no need. There's just no need, Christian, to doubt him now. and tears the Lord has never once let me down though I don't understand still I trust in his plan for he said that his grace would abound there's no So 
God, have no fear, though your path seems unclear. Someday God's plan will unfold. He has never, never failed. He will always prevail. The Lord has it under no need to doubt him now. He'll make a way somehow. Safely this far, Jesus has brought me. No productive and and be used of God. So I'm excited that he he could come and I'm excited to hear what he has for us tonight. He's going to come and sing and then he's going to preach to us. Okay, Brother Thurr. Thank you, Pastor. Amazing grace shall always be my song of praise, for it was grace that bought my liberty. I do not know just why he came to love me so. Jesus looked I see the nails that pierced your hands and feet. I stand amazed to think that you Forever lift mine eyes to 
Jesus died for me. that caught my falling soul. Jesus looked beyond all my faults and he saw Praise the Lord. Aren't you glad Jesus did that for you? Boy, where would we be? We're not for his mercy. Where would we be? We're not for his grace. Would you please go in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter number 8. 2 Corinthians chapter number 8. Sure has been wonderful to be with you, dear folks. And it's a great thing to be part of the family of God, isn't it? It's a wonderful thing where you can go uh, to other places and uh, <clears throat> just uh, be at home with family because of the common bond that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? There's just nothing like being part of the family. And if you're not in the family, my get in tonight. Amen? Get born again if you've not been born again. And I'm sure glad for the privilege to be in the family of God. I'm thankful for the privilege to serve the Lord. And uh, I've been through, and I'm sure your pastor has, and if you're a Christian living for God, you've been through some tough spots, Amen. been through some hardships, been through some difficulties, had some brokenness, had some heartache, heartbreak. But oh, I'm going to tell you something. He's worthy. Amen. He's worthy. I don't have a single regret all these years of serving the Lord. I grew up in a pastor's home, uh, <clears throat> saw a lot of things that, you know, would have and could have discouraged and caused me to run from, from church. Uh, but I'll tell you what made the difference in my life was that when we would go home and I would go home and be inside the walls of our home, I would see in my mother and dad the genuine article. I would see in my parents the real thing. Saw a lot of things as a young person growing up in church as a pastor's kid. Saw a lot of stuff. Saw a man once clear his throat and spit right in my dad's face. Saw a man once because my dad was preaching against that terrible, devilish, wicked thing called booze. My dad was just blazing away preaching against booze and alcohol, and a man got angry at him. And after church one Sunday morning, uh, I did, the man went through the foyer, and my mother was coming up the steps, little three-step foyer, and he took his forearm and shoved my mother backwards, almost knocked her, knocked her down because he was so mad about my dad preaching against booze. Saw those things as a kid. It bothered me. But I want to tell you, when I went home, I saw the real deal in my parents. I saw real Christianity in those two people. Well, I want to tell you that's made all the difference. It's made all the difference in my life. Let's be real. Man, let's be real for our kids, amen? Let's be real for our grandkids. My dad used to say that he'd, he would look at me and he'd point. My dad had a bent finger. It was bent like that. And it was bent that way from him doing this. <laughs> when he would preach, and then from him doing this on my chest and on my brother's chests. He did it the most on Darren, my eldest brother. And I'm the youngest boy. And, uh, you know, how many of you are you, the youngest? You know, see, the advantage of being the youngest is is parents figure out all the things that they've done wrong. And they finally, with the youngest, they finally get it right. They finally figure it out. How many of you are the eldest? See, you're the people who have mental problems. <laughs> you're the people who are messed up. You know, my brother Darren, he's, he's a case, buddy. I'll tell you, a pastor knows him a little, a little bit. And, and uh, no, he's my buddy and... and uh, I thank the Lord for uh, just uh, the goodness of God. And, and uh, man, I, I, I want to do more for the Lord, don't you? I think about the man, uh, Dr. Uh, Lee Robertson. I read this story, how that when he was laying on his, he was told that he was going to die. And uh, I believe that Dr. Robertson said, oh, I hate that. There's so much more I wanted to do for Christ. 
at 90, what was he, preacher? 94, 7, 97. Can you imagine that, saying that at that age? I, I, but I, aren't you the same way? There's so much more I want to do for Jesus. Don't you? Don't you just want to do something for him? He's been so good to us. I want you to go in your Bibles to first, Second Corinthians chapter number 8. And I want us to look this evening at a, a matter of motive. Motive. You know, someone once said, <clears throat> the true test of any action lies in its motive. We all know this to be true, that one day we'll all, as Christians, as God's children, we will stand at the judgment seat of Christ, won't we? And we'll stand at that Bema seat, and the Bible records for us that uh, our works, of what sort it is, will be judged whether it's wood, hay, or stubble, or gold, silver, and precious stones. And what we do for Christ is going to be judged, isn't it? And I would submit to you that it's not the, the measure of how much we've done, per se. I don't believe it's how good we did it, but I believe that one of the enduring uh, things that God is going to bring his ever-piercing eyes upon is why we did what we did. You know, I've served the Lord. I've served the Lord out of duty. It's not fun to do that. I've served the Lord. I've done things for Christ because there was no one else to do it. It just has to be done. I've served the Lord and done things for God uh, because of feeling the enormity of the need, realizing that something needs to be done. People need or this needs or that need. But I want to tell you, though, when I most enjoy serving the Lord is when I serve Him because... I'm just so much in love with him. Because he, just, he's just such a wonderful savior to me. Because he's just been so good to me. That's when I have the most fun serving God. When I serve him out of duty, I don't really know. I don't know how the Lord's going to judge that. I really don't. But I do know this. I have this confidence. That when I or you serve him out of love and adoration, out of worship, we serve him because he's been so unbelievably good to us. There's no question in my mind that he smiles on that. That he sees that motive and says, I'm pleased with that. Would you all agree? There's no doubt in my mind. And, and <clears throat> you know, the greatest of deeds which seem most glorious and noble are really uh, um, ignoble when done with self as the motive. We live in a day and age where the, the brand of religion that's being uh, <clears throat> populous, popular in our society today is what can church do for me? <clears throat> we'll get to the scripture in just a moment. I want to introduce these things. I read a book by a secular humanist. I do not recall the author's name now. You might say, Brother Tharp, why are you reading a secular humanist? Well, because of what he was writing on. And he was giving his theory as to why there were exploding mega churches today in our society. In fact, uh, Brother Williams alluded to it this morning in the Sunday school, how that there are more churches today, there are bigger churches today than there ever have been. And yet, are we a more godly nation? And I believe the poll this morning, Brother Williams, was that we, want, that we aren't. We're a less godly country than we were 50 years ago. I'm only 52 years old, and I can tell you that uh, the change and the shift that I've seen in 30 years is shocking. Troubling. And the secular humanist wrote in his book, he gave his theory as to why he believed that mega churches were so, and he identified and defined a mega church as any church over 2,000 people. And, or pardon me, over 1,000 people. He, he, he defined a super mega church as any church over 3,000. Again, this is this man's assessment, not mine. <clears throat> but he gave this opinion. He said he believed that, and we're talking about a secular humanist, a man who doesn't really believe in God, a man who's not in religion, a man who is a critic, rather, of religion. But he said this. He said, uh, my theory on why it is that megachurches are exploding and why it is that these massive churches are being built is because the average so-called, and he quoted it that way, the average so-called Christian today is looking for a church to go into and settle into where they don't have to do anything. 
And he said, that's why I think that so-called Christians are flocking to mega churches because of that reason. Now, don't think for a moment that, oh, Brother Tharp's against mega churches. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is that there's a certain measure of truth probably to what that man is saying, that we live in a day and age of a brand of Christianity where Christians are going to a church and saying, what can the church do for me? What ministries, what programs, what plans do you have for me and for my family? There have been very few and far between have I had people, and by the way, seldom do people move to northern Michigan uh, for, you know, it just doesn't happen. If they move up there, it's because they're hunting fanatics or golf fanatics or because they're going to retire. And usually if they're going to retire, it's only between uh, May and October. Amen? Because after October, why it gets, you know, we still have snow piled up all over the place. I'm sick of snow. I hate snow. I hate it. But God has me in northern Michigan. Uh, but, you know, uh, seldom have I had, ever had people call and say, if I join your church, what can I do to serve the Lord there? Doesn't happen very often. Very seldom. But rather, I will have people call, and the times that people do move up there, I'll have them call, and they'll say, what ministries do you have? What children's ministries? What kind of youth program? They're important things. Those are important. Uh, do you have, uh, you know, do you have a choir? Do you have, what kind of music do you have? I love it when people ask that. Do you have good old-fashioned music? Do you use the King James Bible? Boy, it thrills me when people ask those things. But seldom do people ask, if I come there and if I join, is there some ministry that I can get plugged into and get involved? Very rarely do people ask that. I want us to notice in the scripture here, 2 Corinthians chapter number 8, Moreover, brethren, we do you to win of the grace of God bestowed in the churches of Macedonia, how that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded under the riches of their liberality. For to their power, I bear record, yea, and beyond their power, they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty that we receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And I believe we all know that this scripture is talking about uh, giving. And oftentimes this scripture is used in the matter of teaching on, some will call it faith promise. That's what we have at our church up in northern Michigan. And, and uh, boy, our pastor was telling me about that uh, wonderful missionary display back there. And man, praise the Lord. 80, 80 plus missionaries this church supports. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Somebody run an aisle. Isn't that wonderful? Amen. Man, that's good. Amen. Praise the Lord. And uh, man, I love missions, love missionaries. And but that's what this passage of Scripture is talking about. But, boy, it's talking about, in the broader sense, it's talking about, and really it's summed up in verse 3, they were willing of themselves. Why, are they, why were they willing to give? Because they were willing of themselves. Let's keep reading. And this they did, verse 5, not as we hope, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. Insomuch that we desired Titus, that as he had begun, so he would also finish in you the same grace also. Therefore... As you abound in everything, in faith, and utterance, and knowledge, and in all diligence, and in your love to us, see that you abound in this grace also. I speak not by commandment, but by occasion of the forwardness of others, and to prove the sincerity of your love. So Paul is writing to the Corinthian church, and he's saying, give, give of yourself. Be like the church of Macedonia, and give of yourself. Give sacrificially. Give, give, your, give yourself over to the Lord. Give your, give your whole heart to God. And then he says in verse 9, and here's why, here's the premise upon which I make this plea to you. He says, the reason why I'm telling you that you should give of yourselves, the reason why I'm telling you you should give, and you should give liberally, and you should give sacrificially, here's the premise, here's the reason why. Verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. You see, this speaks of Christ's motive. It really does. This speaks and this gives, us <clears throat> this gives us a bit of a glimpse into the very heart of Christ and into the motive of what Jesus, why Jesus did what he did. You know, through this simple message, may God's Holy Spirit make this little, this little thought that G what Jesus did, he did for our sakes. Is that what the Scripture says? That is what the Scripture says. Notice it, verse number 9, yet for your sakes, for your sakes. That's why Jesus did what he did. Oh, I know, I know that, 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 that Jesus did what he did to glorify the Father. He did what he did to obey the Father's will. He did what he did because it was Father's plan. But I want to tell you, the Scripture definitively and clearly tells us that he did it for our sakes. Amen, church? 
And so my message to us tonight is just as what Jesus did for our sakes, may God help us to do all that we do for his sake. For his sake. For your sakes, Christ did his deeds of love. For his sake, we are called upon to live and to labor and to build his church. Oh, would God that we would grasp such a simple and yet profound truth. I believe it would undoubtedly change our lives. I believe it changed his church. I believe it changed his country. I really do. You say, oh, Brother Tharp, what a, what a pie in the sky, uh, idealistic viewpoint. I just happen to believe this old book. And I believe God's still in the business of work and revival. And I believe God's still in the business of shaking a church and shaking a life, shaking a family, shaking a church, and shaking a nation. I believe God still is able, don't you? He's still the same God. Amen, church? I want us you to consider first Christ's motive. Notice it says, for your sakes. You see, those of us who believe in the name of the lonely begotten Son of God already know for our sakes the Lord of glory stooped to be a suffering, dying man. You think of the greatness of this one, this Lord Jesus Christ. You think of the greatness. He was the only begotten of the Father, wasn't he? The Bible tells us in John, the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He was God in the flesh, church. Let's never forget that. We're celebrating uh, Resurrection Sunday uh, next Sunday, next week. And, and, and my thoughts and your thoughts, I would hope, have been on the suffering of Christ, have been on what he did for us on Calvary, that our thoughts would go to Gethsemane and our thoughts would go to remember what he did for us. Amen, church. And I don't need to see some goofy Hollywood movie in order to help me understand what the Lord Jesus Christ did for me, but rather to get my face into the pages of God's word and see what God said about the suffering and sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. For your sake, he did that. For your sake and for mine. He was God. He was a creator. Colossians chapter 1 tells us. God creator is who, hang, who hanged upon that tree. God creator was the one who left the glories of heaven. God creator is the one who took upon himself human flesh and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto the, unto the death of the cross. My soul, let this sink into our heart and soul tonight that it was God who came from heaven. For your sakes, it was not an angel. It was not some inferior being like you or me, but it was very God of very God who loved you and I with an everlasting and an unmeasured affection. Sadly, 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 some unaffected by that truth. <gasps> Heard it all before. It doesn't really amaze us anymore that it was really God in the flesh who came and shed his blood on Calvary. I think about that song the choir sang, and Brother Tom, I'll make a deal with you. I'll give you that song that I sang in exchange for that song the choir sang, all right? Man, what a great song. I was telling my son about it on the phone this afternoon, just the, man, the, the moving truth of that song. My soul what the Lord Jesus did for us on Calvary. And it ought never bore us. It ought never cause us to, to, to be weary. It ought never ever be truth that we are so familiar with that it doesn't amaze us anymore that the King of glory, the creator of the world, went to Calvary for you and I. It ought never be something that bores us. You think of the awful beggars upon whom his wealth was poured. I want to tell you, I think, uh, what's the guy, his name is Jeff Bezos, he's the founder of Amazon. He's been declared to be the first uh, $100 billion man, I guess. His net worth, $100 billion. That's more than most gross national product of many countries in the world. And, <clears throat> you know, of all the princes and kings of the earth, of all the greatest, wealthiest men and women, of all the most powerful, great men and women of the, of the world, were to lay aside their dignities, all the kings, all the monarchs, all the presidents, all the rulers, if they were all to somehow amass together all their dignity, all their grandeur, all their pomp, all their wealth, all their riches, all their fame, that could not begin to compare with the condescension and the amazing love which brought the Savior from glory to redeem such worthless, lousy, hell-deserving sinners as you and I wouldn't begin to compare is we consider the king of glory who came for our sakes. Then consider who and what we are, <laughs> for whose sakes he died. 
My, what wonderful thought. It isn't any wonder that John Newton wrote Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I find that perhaps sadly what happens, and I'm going to say us because I have the same problem and so do you because we're all built and we're all cut from the same cloth, aren't we, church? I have the problem that sometimes I forget what a wretch that I am. You see, John Newton, <clears throat> the, the, the vile, murderous, slave-trading man that he was, barbaric man. Oh, if you've never read his life, a, a murderous, barbarous man. And yet, Jesus Christ saved him. And I want to tell you, the reason John Newton was able to write Amazing Grace was because he never forgot what a wretch that he was. I don't think he ever forgot, at least certainly when he wrote that song, he didn't, he didn't forget that he was a wretch, and he didn't forget that the king of glory lavished his wonderful wealth, wealth beyond the wildest imaginations of any man on earth. He lavished his wealth upon a rotten beggar like John Newton. And that's what he did for you and I. You and I, insignificant beggars. As we truly know ourselves, we know we are of the lowest state when compared to Christ. You know, if God wanted to, he could have just blotted out our entire existence. And by the power of a spoken word, he could have made an entire new human race. He could have done anything, but he chose to lavish his greatest, most precious treasure upon us, his only begotten son. You think about what iniquitous beggars we are. We are always an unclean thing. All of our righteousnesses as, are as filthy rags before the Lord. Oh, Isaiah wrote, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Amen. As sinners, dear church, we deserve nothing but God's judgment and wrath. As sinners, we deserve nothing, <clears throat> nothing but God's judgment and wrath. Right. Yet, praise God, thanks be to God in repentance, in repentance. I said in repentance. We receive nothing but grace and mercy. If God had pronounced perish forever, you're all guilty, we would have gotten our just desserts. I'll never forget sitting or talking with a young man that I met walking down the road and <clears throat> terribly angry young man. And I said to him, I said, what is the matter with you? And he said, he began to talk to me about this issue and that and different things. And here's what he said. He said, I just want what's coming to me. I said, oh, no, son, <laughs> you don't want what's coming to you, and none of us do. And may I say, none of us have ever gotten really what's coming to me. My father <clears throat> was stricken with a terrible disease called Guillain-Barre syndrome, which is an autoimmune disorder which nominally affects most people. But In my dad's case, he had contracted the worst condition of that uh, disease that many doctors had ever seen in their entire years of practice. My dad was paralyzed from the top of his head to the sole of his feet. He couldn't even blink his own eyes. We'd have to tape his eyelids closed so his eyes wouldn't fill with infection from drying out. He couldn't breathe. <clears throat> he was on a ventilator. He couldn't move a finger, couldn't blink an eye. And yet he could feel everything. He had complete sensory uh, uh, nerve sensor, but his peripheral nerves, the nerves which control all of our muscles, had been rendered useless. So if he had an itch, if he had a pain, if he had a cramp, if he had a sore, he could do nothing to do anything about it. Nor could he voice and articulate that he hurt or that he itched or that he needed something. My dad spent about seven months in that prison before he finally began to recover. <clears throat> I'll never forget a preacher who came to my dad's bed and I was standing by my dad's bedside. My brothers and I all would leave our homes and leave our churches at different times and we would go and take care of our dad at home. The doctors told us, put him in the nursing home and take him there, he's going to die. There's nothing we can do for him. We took our dad to his home and each of us took turns driving many, many hours, many hours of miles to take care of him. We took shifts, even our sister, whose husband pastors over in Goebbels. We all took turns taking care of our dad. I'll never forget a man came in, <clears throat> and he stood by my dad's bed, and my dad, all he could do at that time was move his head back and forth like this, which to us was a great accomplishment. 
I'll never forget the man <clears throat> said to my father, he said, Phil, do you ever ask God, why me? And my dad motioned to me, he moved his head toward me, and that meant he wanted to speak and he wanted to say something, in which case we had to take a letter board and we'd have to point to letters. First, we'd point to how many words do you want to say? And then if there was four words, if we'd point to the number four, he'd nod his head yes. And then we'd begin to spell out the words. It was almost like playing, what do you call it, charades? I don't know. <clears throat> but he began, to, he began to spell out the words. And we'd point to a letter and he'd nod his head. And finally, my dad was able to get it out letter by letter. No, why not me? Why not me? Who are we to think? that we should skate through life without trouble or problem. How dare us? How dare us when problems or heartache or trouble comes into a life? How dare we? How dare we say to God, God, I don't deserve this. Because if we really remember what iniquitous and what, uh, what insignificant beggars we are, and if we really remember what we deserve, uh, what we ought to say, and I'm with you because I do the same thing and I have the same problem, and I don't like trials and I don't like troubles, and when they come into my life, I want to get out of them as quickly as possible. Yeah. But what we ought to say is, why not me? Well, let's consider the wonderful work of grace that Jesus' motives inspired. Would you go with me to Philippians, please? chapter 2, Philippians chapter 2, and please would you look at verse number 7, and this is speaking of, of Jesus Christ, of course, <clears throat> but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death even the death of the cross. For your sakes, Christ, the God-man, became incarnate. The Son of God took upon himself the robe of sinful flesh and became, he who knew no sin became sin for us. For your sakes, being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself. See, the infinite God became incarnate. He ate, he hungered, he drank, he thirsted, he needed shelter, he needed rest. He had not where to lay his head. He was the man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And may I remind us tonight, all for our sakes, Jesus did all of that. Amen. 2 Corinthians 8, 9, we read the verse, though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. See, when the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords, was nailed upon that cruel, rugged cross, he who bore the sins of all mankind was forsaken of the Father, deserted by his friends and closest followers, shamed and left alone to suffer for your sakes. That was the deepest poverty that anybody could possibly be measured by human thought. I wonder tonight, can you see him there? Can you see the Savior on Calvary? Can you see the Savior in Gethsemane as he's pouring over in great agony of prayer? Father, not my will, but thine be done. Let this cup pass from me. He knew that he was going to become the receptacle for your sins and for mine. And for your sakes, Christ did that. For your sakes, that bloody sweat falling to the ground as he prays. For your sakes, he drank it. Then see him as he stands falsely accused before Herod before Pilate, before Caiaphas. Can you see him? Can you see him, church? Can you see him there, Christian? Taken from prison and from judgment, Isaiah wrote, buffeted, beaten, and disfigured. For your sakes, church, for your sakes, for my sake. Mark carefully his sufferings as they hounded him through the streets of Jerusalem. Along that way of suffering, and at last... They nail his precious hands and his feet to that cruel tree and lift him up between heaven and earth to suffer the humiliation and agony of public crucifixion. All for our sake. All for your sakes. Mark carefully his suffering as he hung upon that cross. Mark carefully his suffering as he hung there and drew his last breath. And he said, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do for our sake. For our sake, church, Jesus did that. For our sake, the buffeting. 
For our sake, the rejection, the ridicule, and the mocking. For our sake, the agony in Gethsemane. For our sake, the flogging, the flogging of a Roman fist. For our sakes, the furrows of a Roman whip. For our sakes, he gave us back to the smiters and his cheek to them that plucked his beard. For our sakes, the shame and the spitting. For our sakes, he became obedient unto death. See, if you... And I really believe that for our sakes he suffered and bore our sins. If you really believe that, you can't help but loving and serving him. You can't. If you really believe, if you and I really grasp that that's why Jesus went to Calvary. He went there, he suffered, he endured, he suffered the shame, the humiliation, the, suffer, the beatings, the buffetings, the, the floggings, the, the, the furrows of that cat of nine tails. For our sakes, Jesus suffered those things. If you really believe that, you and I cannot help but give him our life every day, every moment. You and I can't help but lay our heart upon the altar of sacrifice and say, Lord, whatever you want for me, Lord, whatever I can do for you, you deserve it. Because for my sake, you went to Calvary. Because for my sake, you suffered. For my sake. Yes, Think of him for a moment as he's taken down from the cross. Can you see them? Maybe Mark. Maybe Mary Magdalene. Certainly Joseph, I believe. Looking on that mangled frame. That face, the Bible says, was so marred you couldn't even tell he was a man. Can you see, as they look into those who are making sacrifices, amen, our missionaries are making sacrifices. I think Pastor Son, Brother Daniel, and our church supports him. We've supported him ever since he started, ever since he went to the field. And I want to tell you something, that young man and his wife are making sacrifices. They make sacrifices. I think our mission is giving ought to be sacrificial. In fact, you know what? I'm going to back up. I don't think the Bible says it ought to be. There we go. Amen? Come on, it's preaching time. Amen? The Bible says it ought to be. And when it comes time to give your missions, do it for Jesus' sake. If he calls upon you to suffer, just go ahead and suffer for Jesus' sake. When he asks you to serve him, when that man of God asks you to do something for the cause of Christ, do it. Do it gladly. Do it quickly. Don't say, well, I'll pray about it. Come on. It needs to be done. Your pastor's asking you. Just go ahead and get right on it and do it. And saying in your heart, I'm going to do it for Jesus' sake. Don't forget one time I was a 14-year-old boy. My dad was pastoring a small church in LaGrange, Indiana. I'm getting over LaGrange, Indiana. Is. <clears throat> My dad was pastoring a small church there. LaGrange Baptist Church, praise the Lord, it's still there, going strong. We had a baptistry, just uh, the whole platform was probably from, oh, I'd say from this chair, maybe to the, to the other inside of this chair. And in the platform was where the baptistry was. We'd have to lift a big door. And I was down inside that baptistry, and because, of, because it was enclosed, and many times it would just get, you know, we'd, we'd have to drain it every time because it would leak too. And it would leak down into the kitchen, which was below there, and so we'd have to drain it. But a lot of times we do is we close that thing, and so because of the moisture in it, it'd get full of mold and mildew. And whose job do you think it was to clean it? Well, Darren wouldn't do it. He was a brat. But I got down there and there, and I was cleaning that, and not only cleaning it, but I was painting it. My dad came to the end of the auditorium, and I was just a teenage boy, and my dad came to the auditorium, and he said, Russell Garland! That's my middle name. And uh, I said, yes, sir, and I popped up my head over the floor, you know, and my head's about here, and I'm looking across at my dad, and he says, are you doing that for Jesus? Oh, um, yeah. I really wasn't. I was doing it for my dad. I was doing it for my dad. I loved my dad. My dad asked me to do it. I did it for my pop. I don't know how the Lord will sort that out in the judgment seat. I'd like to think he'd smile on that. I want to tell you, my dad often would call me to consider, why are you doing what you're doing? And he'd say to me, boy, you better do it for Jesus. When you get discouraged with that bus route, man, don't quit. Don't give up. 
We get discouraged for those kids that have Sunday school class. We get discouraged for those kids in that junior church or that super church. You get discouraged with something that's going on. Somebody doesn't shake your hand. Somebody doesn't speak to you. You get discouraged with something in the church. Bless your heart. Just go ahead and just give it to God and let it go. And just keep on doing what God has called you to do. And do it for Jesus' sake. Because he deserves it. He's worthy. If you and I consider what he's done for our sakes and esteem him not worthy of your life, then go. I don't know what, I, I certainly don't want Pastor to, to uh, not ever invite him back, but you know what, if Jesus isn't worthy, then go find something worthy of your life. Really. You know, get in or get out, get on or get off. But really, if Jesus, if you esteem Jesus not worthy, then go, go find something that's worthy of your life. Go, go live your life for the spotted owl. Or for some, for some goofy, ridiculous thing. I want to tell you something. I found living my life for the Lord Jesus Christ and for his sake. I want to tell you, there, there, this ain't good grammar, but it's good preaching. There ain't nothing. There ain't nothing worth my life in the cause of Christ. I've considered him. I've considered his suffering. And I've considered my worthless state. And I've found him to be more than worthy of my puny little life. I found him to be more than worthy of this whatever little bit that I can offer him. I found him to be more than worthy of my sacrifice and my all, no matter what it may cost me. I'm going to serve him with all of my heart, with all I have, and I'm going to give him whatever I've got left in my life because I'm going to tell you, I've considered Calvary, and I've found him to be worthy. He's worthy. Jesus is worthy. My wife and I, our eldest son, Matthew, went to school here, first and second grade. He's preaching for me all day today. Runs a bus route, runs a youth ministry, heads up our super church, and does just about anything I don't want to do. But he sure, I'm with Will was lost here. He was 18 years old. Some things happened in his dad, his grandpa's life, and in our life. A man, a man, a Christian man, <clears throat> over some disagreements that he had with some things my dad was doing in leadership. He grabbed my dad's wheelchair, and my dad, a crippled man, could not even lift his hand to his own face himself. And this man grabbed my, my dad's wheelchair and Christian shook his wheelchair, yelling and screaming at him right in his face. My dad couldn't even lift his hand to protect himself. These things, things that Christians did to his mother and I really bothered that boy. And I know you're a church who celebrated 27 years of having the same pastor. Well, be careful how you treat God's man. He just about destroyed our son. And I confronted him one day and I said, Son, you're not going to live the way you want to live under my roof. And I said to him, I said, You have one hour to decide whether you want to get your stinking, wicked heart right. And I'm not making any of this up. I said, You have one hour to get your stinking, wicked heart right. And come clean with me about what your problem is. I said, if you've got a problem with me, whatever your problem is, boy, I said, you've got one hour to come clean with it all. And I said, you better vomit up everything that you've got going on. Because I said, in one hour, your things are going to be sitting outside the doors of this house. And you're out of here. I said, now you have one hour to go down in your bedroom and think about what I've just said and decide what it is you want to do. It didn't take 10 or 15 minutes. And came back upstairs and he fell, fell at my feet. He said to me, he said, Dad, he said, if Christians are going to do these things to my grandpa, they're going to do these things to you and mom, and I don't want anything to do with serving the Lord. If they're going to do these things and this is what Christianity is about, Dad, then Dad, my soul, why are we doing what we're doing? And he 
didn't scream or yell at me, but he's weeping, sobbing. He said, Dad, what is it all for if people are going to do this stuff to my grandpa and to you and mom? What am I doing it for? And that boy laid his head on my lap and sobbed and cried. And I lifted his face up and I said, Son, I'm going to tell you something. I said, we're doing it for Jesus' sake. We're doing it for the Lord. And I said to him, I put my finger at him, I told him, I said, son, if the Lord Jesus Christ isn't worthy of your life, then go, get out of here, and go live your life, whatever you want to do. But I said, I want you to go back to Calvary, and I want you to remember what Jesus Christ did for you. And I said, who cares what people have done? Who cares what people do? But I want you to stop, and you better think about what Christ did for you at Calvary. And I said, if you think that his suffering is worthy of your life, then serve him with everything you've got. And that's what he's been doing ever since. By the grace of God. did everything for your sake. You're bitter at your preacher. If you're bitter at something in this church, why don't you spit the whole gravel out and do it for Jesus' sake? you got some unforgiveness towards somebody in this church or towards somebody somewhere around the world or towards somebody in your past, just spit that old gravel out and get rid of it and do it for Jesus' sake. Do it for Jesus' sake. If you're called upon to clean a toilet in this church, bless your heart, do it and do it for Jesus' sake. If you're called upon to shovel a sidewalk, if you're needed to clean a window, if you're needed to fix something that's broken, if you're needed to sing in the choir or do something to help this preacher, bless your heart, do it, and do it for Jesus' sake. Because he's worthy. He's worthy. If he calls upon you to come to this altar tonight, give up something. Just go ahead and do it without hesitation. And do it for Jesus' sake. Our Father, thank you for your goodness. Oh, Lord, I think of your goodness to me. I'd be a fool not to serve you. I think of how good you've been to me, precious Lord. I'd be a fool not to live for you. Lord, I pray that you please, God in heaven, squeeze upon the hearts of your people tonight. Oh, Lord, would you search the thoughts and intents of our hearts tonight? Would you help us to see through your discerning glance the true condition of the motives of our heart? Oh God, I pray that you'd help us to lay our lives down fresh and anew for Jesus' sake. Let's stand together. Let's stand together.